0: Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Movie Geeks United. Cinematographer Checo Varese had early ambitions of becoming an architect, but the unpredictable journey of life lured him elsewhere. First, as a news cameraman for the major networks, then a prolific photographer of music videos, like Dave Matthews' Crash and Prince's Black Sweat. And then finally, to narrative works for screens both big and small. It's likely that the visual language of one of your favorite television series was devised by Checo. That's because he's particularly famous for shooting pilots, True Blood, The Strain, and Jack Ryan among them. On the feature film front, he's produced beautiful work for The New Daughter, starring Kevin Costner, replicas with Keanu Reeves, director Rennie Harlan's Five Days of War, second-unit work on Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim. He's worked alongside his wife, director Patricia Riggan, in multiple projects, perhaps most notably on the Chilean minor drama The Thirty-Three. And his new film is one of this year's most anticipated, It Chapter Two. We enjoyed a wide-ranging discussion with Checo, during which we covered a lot of bases. What's it like to collaborate with music legend Prince? How do you film 36,000 gallons of blood? And what are the challenges of visualizing what is sure to become a new horror classic?
1: So so what are you working on right now?
2: I'm doing a pilot for Amazon. Um and Sony called them Covenant.
1: You've done a lot of pilots. Yeah. Is it important for you to get on the, on the ground floor of a series when it first starts? I think,
2: I think it's, there is something very appealing about being able to create a world in, and to create the vision in a world. Um, and it's very challenging because it at the end of the day, it's, it's it's an hour of, of of information that you create in well, 12 days, 15 days. So it's a little movie. Um, very challenging, very very creative, and, 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 and very freeing because you are, you know, within the world you create, and, and and everybody else sort of follows that lead later. You know, I find it very challenging, and I find it very interesting.
1: Yeah, and what interests me, I mean, you you go into a, a lot of very popular series, and you shoot the pilot or maybe one additional episode, you know, stuff like The Strain and Tr- True Blood and uh, Jack Ryan, what have you, and and then other cinematographers have to kind of follow your lead, but but in the case of It Chapter Two, the opposite is happening, where where you are following Chung Hoon Chung. Uh, the, the DP of the first film.
2: Well, as well as my colleagues that follow and do the rest of the episodes
1: of a series,
2: I hope they had the same freedom I had to respect and honor the work of the predecessor, but take ownership and make it your own. You know, because you, you basically are writing the editorial of the New York Times the next morning. You know, someone else wrote it yesterday and you're just writing it tomorrow morning, hoping that the millions of readers will read it with the same passion that they read the one of yesterday. Um, Hmm. So I think to answer your question in a very elliptical way, I um, I think of myself as a chef. You know, we all go to the same supermarket. We all chefs go to the same supermarket. We buy the same products. And we serve completely different dishes with the same sources, you know. And I hope uh, whoever continued the pilot, it, it was the same sort of flavor, but with the additional ingredients that each one brings to the table. Um, mm-hmm. in, the case of, in the case of it, it was very challenging for many reasons. I think uh, Chung did an amazing job. Um, I think the first movie is wonderful. Uh, at the same time, I don't feel this is a sequel, you know. Um, this is not, it's called EAT Chapter 2, but it may as well be EAT Chapter 27 because it happens 30 years later, 27 years later. So the stories we follow are the stories of the adults uh, and the fears of the adults and the, pa- and the, and the nightmares of the adults. So, like the fears of the young characters, Losers Club, in each chapter one, was a little more joyful and, 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 and is the summer, you know, no matter how, terri- how horrific the summer is, nevertheless, is the summer of these 12-year-olds or whatever the age was, um, were fulfilling the nightmares of these 40-something-year-old characters who have lived a very... Some cases, wonderful life. Some other cases, horrible lives. And, and we follow their nightmares and their fears. So therefore, each Chapter 2, it's, it's a, that kid's game, a seesaw between two worlds. You know, it's, it's mm. a seesaw mm. of honoring each Chapter 1 and honoring the look and, and, and especially um, honoring the audience memory of that look. Uh, And in that case, Andy Muschietti, our fearless leader and and, uh, beloved director, was very, very precise and very specific. You know, that look has to be the same. It's like watching the first movie. You know, we match the, the, the hair and we match the wardrobe and we try to match the look and the camera moves to the first movie. So it felt like you were seeing for the first time a part of the movie you never saw or a part of the story you never saw. Um, and that was somehow fascinating because, as you say, I've never done episode two of somebody with the pilot. So it was quite, quite interesting. By the same token, we created a completely new world, uh, for the adults a darker, moodier, more romantic, more scary world. Um, in the adult world. So it was challenging. It was very challenging, I have to say. But it was, you know, there are not big rewards and they're, they're big, uh, unless there are big challenges. So I like the challenge and I like the reward.
1: Of course, yeah. And it's interesting to me because uh, as as a cinematographer, you're, you're like a lot of people on that crew, that, that entire team. You're assistant storytellers. And essentially... You, the decisions that you make have to reflect character, uh, character journey, character point of view. When did you realize you had a feel for for, for character?
2: My background is a little unorthodox. I, I, I started, uh, I'm an architect, and I started by coincidence being a camera assistant in documentary and then a news cameraman and then a documentary cameraman and then a war correspondent. So my journey to it goes through the horrors of war and, 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 and the beauty of, of people that are survivors and people that are, make the best out of their days. So mm. I think, I, I've never been asked this question, so I'm trying to figure out, but I, I think my feel for character and for story comes from my documentary base. Um, comes from trying to, to be a, a, fly in a wall in, in, in the Amazon River while people talk about their dreams and indigenous people in Brazil or, 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 or whoever was uh, walking in the Antarctica when I did a documentary. So I think it comes from there. It also comes from being a filmmaker, you know, I think filmmakers, we are, sort of the memory of the 20th century and the 21st century, you know. uh, It's the art that has produced more memories. It's sort of like we're the writers of the 18th century, the Romanticism, you know. We're the writers of the 20th century and the 21st century. It just happened to be a collaborative effort. um, But I think we're writing history, and to be able to write history, you have to understand it. You have to understand yeah. action to do an action movie, or romance to do a romantic movie, you know. But it, it, nevertheless, it's all part of the same human drama and human arc
1: that we all follow. Tell me about tell me about your experiences as as a as a, a war a news cameraman. That period of your life.
2: I really never wanted to be a news cameraman, but. Uh, I, I remember being in 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 South America. I'm, I'm born in Peru and, and raised in South America. And I became like the National Geographic guy to go to. And I did several documentaries with them. And uh, so I felt, oh, my God, I'm going to move to Washington and I'm going to be the king of the hill. You know, <laughs> sure enough, I moved to Washington and and the regime changed, and people I knew were not there anymore, and National Geographic had a revamp. So, all of a sudden, I didn't know anybody, and I wasn't the romantic guy that lived at the end of a telex line or a phone line. Um, mind you, I don't think they were faxes then. Um, so, someone said, Oh, there's this small company that in Atlanta called CN, CN something. Why don't you go and visit them? So, I sure enough, I went to the CNN. And uh they needed someone in El Salvador by coincidence. And I ended up going to El Salvador and becoming a news cameraman. You know, I changed profession in the plane. Um, there's nothing like a plane to change professions actually I have to tell you. Um, so when I land when I left was a camera assistant when I landed was a cameraman. Um of sorts. And and yes I think being a, a And mind you, this was the 80s and the beginning of the 90s until 93 or 94. It was a completely different world. There were not 24-hour news. We were doing pieces that took a week or two of research and shoot, and, and then we'll end up with the best three-minute piece you could do for, for the nightly news and Tom Brocco or whoever it was that I was working for or the BBC or the Italians. And, and And you had to compete with the other twenty pieces that night and and, and then the best three international pieces would go on air you know and it was it was a little documentary of that slice of someone's life or someone's death or someone's tragedy and it was very 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 rewarding um, I'm not saying it's not rewarding today, but the advent of the twenty four hour uh Fulfilling news and information—it's a little bit different because then, then you have to feed a monster, you know, and the monster is very mm. hungry constantly. So uh, I think I was lucky. I, I miss now and then. I miss the thrill now and then. I don't miss the the the, the fear and the and the and the nightmares, which I sometimes I still have. Um, mm. but but I think it's a wonderful, wonderful way of uh, within your way into 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 the narrative world because you sometimes you have to shoot from the hip and in and, 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 and walk into a location and say listen i i was wrong i think it, we're ready i think the sun is in the right place and if we shoot in the next half an hour this will look gorgeous forget all the lights i said we needed you know that possibility only comes from from accepting what the world gives you, you know, the realities that they are there, you know, maybe it's not the most beautiful elite scene ever, but the actors are ready and the world is ready. And who are you to tell the world that, that they should wait,
1: you know? Yeah. And it also strikes me that you're in situations like that when, when you're in the middle of a particularly uh, scary environment covering certain events you are capturing human moments in in the extreme uh and 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 you're sharing them with the world and i think there's something so uh profound uh about that and and in the long run that's why we love movies because we we share a human experience with with someone that we otherwise might not have known it's like being a kid in your bed
2: and and, and reading a, a you know a novel, a classic, a Julio Verne or 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 you know Conrad. You know you read and, and you become all of a sudden this this explorer in the Arctic, and and that's thanks to the to the writer. In the case of the film and in the case of what we do for a living, we bring that little piece of 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 passion, fear, horror, life, drama, laughter to the audience. And, and there is nothing better than, I don't recall a better experience than, than seeing a movie for the first time with an audience, you know? And, and, and they laugh in, in, in very odd places and they cry in very different places that you remember they should have. And that's the magic of, of sharing that,
1: you know? Mm. And, and, yeah.
2: and, and that is fascinating.
1: It's, uh, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you uh, set out to become an architect. And it strikes me that um, in terms of the contrast between architecture and cinematography, in, in both cases, you're dealing with an understanding and a use of space. So when you visit a location or a set does your architectural mindset come into play?
2: Oh, constantly. Being an architect, I mean, I don't recommend doing my career because it was very convoluted and contorted and complicated, but <laughs> being an architect or understanding the the flow of a space, understanding the colors, understanding where the light comes through, and understanding what people will do in that house or in that space or in that whatever, that prison, um, it's invaluable. You know, architects don't build walls. Architects build spaces. Cinematographers light spaces. Cinematographers embrace spaces. Um, you understand when, when you go to a location or you build a set there are some sets that work, and there are some sets that don't work. And the sets that don't work, or the, the the locations that don't work, are the locations that are counterintuitive to the human being. You know, and 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 there is a there is a direction in in, in locations. There is a direction in sets. There is a a flow of movement in a set. That is the same flow of movement that you have in your kitchen. The fridge is to your left, the kitchen is to your right, and the stove is behind you. That's a very easy way in a triangle how it works. You know. And that has been the same way for, I don't know, 100 years. And I think it's invaluable the way you can understand that, besides the practicalities of looking at a floor plan and understanding, oh, my God, this is too small, or, okay, that's good, or is this window too high, or are we missing mm-hmm. a window here? That's the practical part. But in the emotional part, it's fascinating how both professions intersect, at least in my soul and in my brain, how, do, how both professions intersect perfectly. I mean, if I were to start again in this world, I would start again as an architect and then move quicker to narrative, uh, skip, the, skip some of the things I did. But, uh, but architect, it's, 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 it's a fantastic fantastic profession
1: and it's in, in, in it chapter 2 I, I, I mean so much of the film consists of nightmares uh, nightmare scenarios essentially and uh, in your nightmares you can go anywhere so uh, w- w- tell me about those set pieces what what were the most unique or challenging set pieces to to, to visualize it chapter 2 deals with with adults' nightmares,
2: and it, dears, and, and it deals with these with adults going to the core of Pennywise and trying to get rid of him, to kill him. There is a scene in the first film that it's called The Cistern, where, where the kids come in and, and all the kids are dead, and the bones and the mound of toys are there, and this large spaces is where Pennywise lives, and then uh, lives, no, sorry, it's where Pennywise inhabits. And so Paul Osterberg sat with Andy for, for days and days going through 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 the details of it. I have to say that there are movies where the director is always in the movie the director is the leader. There are movies where the director is tactile, working in every single frame of it. And this is one of those mm. movies. Andy, Andy is fully responsible. Texture, the mm. reflection, the sheen. Without going into, into technicalities on how to do it, he would go and say, well, maybe that should be darker, or maybe that's a little too bright. What about doing this? And he learned, and he, and he very, with a very gentle hand, tries to tweak the world to his will. And, and, and it's fascinating to see how the world actually tweaks to Andy Muschietti's will constantly.
1: Mm. That's interesting because I'm sure there are different kinds of, of directors, but do you appreciate the, the, more, the more tactile visual directors uh, such as Andy? You know,
2: I'm a cinematographer. I'm married to a director and a very successful and talented director. Uh, we've been married for several years. We have a twelve year old daughter. And every time I start a movie I laugh and I joke and I say, Well I'm gonna marry someone else now. You know, and you go in this journey of <laughs> you go in this journey of, of of discovery and romance and wedding and honeymoon and and everything else, you know. And uh, then at the end, there is the, 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 the hugging and the separation, but it's not a divorce. It's a hugging and a separation. So every love story, it's a happy love story. So I, I, I like every, I mostly like every kind of director. I think one of the beauties of working with Andy is that he is very visual and very tactile. You know, he actually touches the frame metaphorically and tweaks it to his will. And I think that is fascinating, fascinating to see. I mean, it's not always pleasant, you know, I'm like, oh my God, how do I do this? You know, it's like, like, really? You really want that? Good. Let me walk around (laughs) the set for a minute and I'll come back with a solution. But I mean, my, my job is to actually try and make those nightmares and those dreams, uh, Touchable in the frame, you know, and that's that's the beauty of it. Don't you? When when you finish, you feel like, oh my God, I did it! And then you go to sleep, and you wake up the next morning, and you grab a cup of coffee, and you go, oh God, today will be again the same. So it's like it's it's like climbing the Everest every morning and be, being very happy of not having died frozen in the pick. <laughs> and
1: yeah, the next morning, I, I, I there I you understand. go. We'll
2: climb. We'll climb the Everest again. You know?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I get that. Yeah, I have a very geeky question for you, uh, because uh, Jessica Chastain <clears throat> revealed that uh, in this movie, uh, I think for one scene they used the most amount of blood ever used for a single scene in a film, and I'm wondering about the uh, the practicalities of photographing blood. Uh, so that the, the color and the consistency reads? I mean, was, was there a, 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 a lot of testing that you had to do to figure out how to do that? Well, um,
2: we had, and I say had, because unfortunately and tragically, due to a working accident, Warren Appleby, the, the special effects supervisor, we lost him a few months ago. Um, oh. And Warren has done many movies with Andy and, and with me and he I wouldn't say he was a dear friend. I think he is a dear friend because he's somewhere building some weird thing in another dimension. But anyway, on a less sad part. Um yes, there was this place where she's part of a nightmare and no spoilers and she gets swatted by Thirty five thousand gallons, I think it was. I don't want to quote the wrong number. But it was like huge amount of blood. I mean, on the practical geeky sense, I think there must have been some some customs supervisor officer in the border between the States and Canada saying, What are you guys thinking? What is this all this blood? What are you guys doing here? You know, I think I think someone <laughs> must have asked some questions about that. But on the practical way they had all the blood built on tanks above the set and connected with with op- quick opening valves so you would open the valve and as like 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 uh, Archimedes said you know so the water tends to go in the lower part so all this liquid came rushing down through very specific places into this area where Jessica was um Lighting blood, it's as tricky as lighting everything else in life. We did tests with a little bit of it, and, and, and we found the best color and the best pulsing. Um, and then everything was fine, and everything was great, and everybody had a great time, and we tested, and etc. And then all of a sudden, Andy wanted a slightly different shot, and we couldn't reach it where, where the cameras were. So I went to the camera truck, I put the wetsuit, and I ended up in the blood with a camera. So, <laughs> some of the sh- so some of the shots are these very sophisticated camera crane moves around where she is, and some of it are just your your fellow cameraman uh, inside the blood with a very visceral camera, in the blood, in the water, in the water, in the in the liquid, um, the funny part of it is that a week later, my daughter came to visit, and like she goes, why is your hair pink? You know, I have gray mm. hair, so why is your hair pink? And I'm like, I look at myself in the mirror, and I realize that actually, yeah, it was pink due to all the blood I was <laughs> swimming in. Um, wow. Yeah, but it was fun. I actually, it's like, I have to say it was a weird sensation. It's like swimming in olive oil. Not that I ever done it, but, you know, it's just this sort of <laughs> viscose, viscous sort of liquid that it's not wet, it's not dry, but it's like sort of weird. Mm.
1: Uh, I just have two more quick questions for you. Um, yeah. I, I have to ask, because I was looking through your. Uh, Your resume today and and for a period of time you shot some very notable music videos and correct me if I'm wrong but I think one of them that you shot was for Prince uh four uh, four of them yes four of them oh you shot four Prince videos do you have any Prince stories yes I do indeed
2: in fact I do (laughs) It was my first time working for him. And uh, so the assistant, the producer, everybody comes to me and says, you know, he doesn't like to be touched. He doesn't like to, to you know, to have contact. But we want you to meet him on, on, on the, the, the makeup trailer. But please, 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 he really is sort of very, you know, very distant. Yeah, I say, yeah, 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 whatever, of course. You know, and I completely forgot about that. Completely forgot about that because I was working somewhere. Said, yeah, let's go and see him. And mind you, I was never a big fan because I lived in South America, so I knew who he was, but I'm not a pop. I I, I wasn't aware of that. You know, I, I I, and that's my thing. It's he was a he is and was a a worldwide amazing musician. You know. To me, it was just the gentleman that I was about to shoot. So I went into a trailer. He was sitting there. He turned around, stood up, and I grabbed his hand, hugged him, and I said, oh, my God, it's a pleasure to work with you. Put my hand around his shoulder, tap the shoulder again, hug him one more time, and I said, thank you so much for the opportunity. I walked away. There was silence everywhere. Everybody was looking at me, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, I forgot what they told me got two, I did all of his music videos, I did four more, he became, I wouldn't say a close friend, but he became a person that would text, the assistant would text me, hey, Prince is playing in New York, do you want to come, you know, and so I would go to him playing, you know, I think, and then actually mm-hmm. that day, he walked me through the house, so I ended up hugging him against everybody's, uh, uh, you know, prognosis, and and. We liked each other, and he liked it. So, yes, I have a, that story. And, and I'm still in contact <laughs> with the assistant. And, yeah, yeah, it was tragic. But I remember yeah, always, very, you yeah. know, how, how wonderful it was for me to forget that. And then he grabbed me by my hand and showed me the house and showed me the guitar and played for me, even when we were there. You know, I'm like, wow, that's great. You know, and I didn't... Mm. I Probably because I didn't quite... It wasn't like I was having an interview with God, you know. I I was having a, an interview with a with an artist, and, and I treated him like a human being that was an artist, and I thought it was fascinating.
1: That's that's probably that's absolutely true. I'm sure that he he probably appreciated being treated like a human being. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was, it was which, probably rare. Which, about yeah. Which
2: probably yes you know because they they become they become
1: uh idols you know and well uh my last question for you uh when you if you teach or if you were to teach a class on cinematography are there particular moments from some of your favorite films whether they're yours or someone else's that you would that you would show to to kind of teach a certain lesson about cinematography?
2: I've done several workshops, and when
1: I teach, when I share my, my stories, I
2: wouldn't go as far as, say, teaching, but when I share my stories, um, I start with a little shoebox, cardboard box, that opens towards the audience or towards the students, so they don't really know what I'm taking out, And I say, this is what I want to show you. And I take a tomato parsley, salt, olive oil, you know, and another little jar, and I put them on the table, and I say cinematographers are like chefs, you know, we go, we all go to the same supermarket, we buy the same tomatoes, we buy the same olive oil, and we all cook, if you give these ingredients to Dante Spinotti, he will do a fantastic bolognese, you know, if you give these ingredients to Emmanuel Lubezki, he will do a beautiful, beautiful salsa, and, you know, each one of us brings to the table what we have in our souls and in our lives, you know. So that's how I start. It's very confusing for them, I have to say. But I usually get a laugh or two. Um, i I've, I've used several times scenes from a movie I did that was directed by Patricia Regan. Uh, it's called The 33. It's about the Chilean yes. miners. Yeah. And... And that movie was extraordinarily challenging because we shot in a real mine. So half of the movie happens in the darkest place on Earth and the other half of the movie happens in the brightest place on Earth. And the brightest place on Earth is the Atacama Desert and the darkest place on Earth is a mine. So that was an extremely challenging movie. Um, And we lit all the interior's mine with practical flashlights. Uh, Mm. There were some lights here and there, but most of it, or 90% of it, were just flashlights. And and I think that it's a a way to understand cinematography. And I'm not quoting my movie, I just know what my movie, what we did in that movie. Quoting what cinematography is, and cinematography is Many have said cinematography is painting with light, and it's true, but it's especially painting with the tools you have at hand and that 's why the analogy of tomatoes and oil are important it 's not about the tools it's about who holds the brush and who and what kind of history you have behind that, and how many museums have you seen in your life and how many Sunsets. Have you watched in your life, and how many times you have been depressed because you missed the sunset? And I think that's what mm. cinematography is. One brings its own experience to the frame.
1: Yeah, that is a beautiful that is a beautiful way of illustrating what it is. Um, and and check out my friend thank you so much for your beautiful work and thank you for taking time out tonight to talk to me about it. I, I, I really appreciate it. No, it's a pleasure. And and thank you for, for being wonderful
2: at asking questions because that's a rare ability and, and, and you have it down to poetry.